Should we just let the music keep playing? <laughs> Welcome <laughs> to the True Wealth <laughs> Radio Show. Host Dave Littlejohn here with me in studio, Miss Katie Shook. My voice is cracking worse than a 13-year-old boy right now. It's pretty bad. I feel like I'm hitting puberty again or something. I'm not sure if it's a cold or I don't think it's a cold. I don't feel sick. Allergies. I don't know. I don't know, but I will tell you this. Speaking of cold, what is it? Like winter is just here. I told you I had that Facebook meme, right? Like, you know, it says fall. Where are you at? Fall's like, I'm on my way. I had to pick up summer and she's drunk in the backseat and smells like pumpkin spice. (laughs) I was like, what? Yeah. Um, It was just kind of more like winter is like that. And I had to pick up fall. I know. It's it's the craziest scenario where um, I'm thinking about how Thursday afternoon last week we were swimming. And then on Sunday, we were supposed to have some friends over and it's raining all day. And like we went into church and it was no rain. And we walked out of church and it didn't stop Boring. raining. For us today. I know. And I'm like, oh, well, hello. I mean, and, and it doesn't even feel like fall. It feels like winter. I mean, it's not really that cold, but it's just dark and gray. And now I have to wake up like Monday morning. So if you guys, so I do a, a blog, right? Uh, and it's for other financial professionals mostly. Uh, it's not to say you all couldn't check it out. I mean, if you want to go uh, look, it's uh, bigfootinvestments.com, and it's a funny name. But so I do a blog there, and for financial pros talking about the uh, technical conditions of the stock market. And I have to wake up and make sure that this thing is published by 6:30 a.m. Monday morning because that's when the markets go live. And if you're going to make a a formal sort of toss at where the market expectations are and you don't and you wait until after the market did it well that's not very predictive is it right oh well the market just did this thank you for telling me what i already knew well in recognizing that the market is um, based on eastern standard time right, right. and we're so in pacific standard time on the east coast so bottom line though is i'm now up in the dark and publishing in the dark and in the middle of the summertime it's light and bright i'm like oh it's a nice time to be awake Good and stuff. by the way if you're a new listener david constantly boasts that he is solar powered meaning he loves the sun oh, so I'm solar powered when the sun when the sun goes away david gets a little sad just a little that's why david just goes like fast now it's like oh let's just not have time to notice that it's dark oh we'll just <laughs> start running see i'm excited about fall fall is my favorite season like I love, mm. I didn't, and that wasn't a thing until I moved up here from California, but I love like 60-ish degree weather and like being able to wear my jeans and my boots and my sweaters and get kind of bundled up. I don't like winter when it's like 30 outside and you're freezing. So I like summer, no question. And I think that I could probably live in the tropics. In fact, one day you, you will know that I've officially achieved some kind of uh, like I don't know. It's the game thing. I don't know what you want to call it, but achievement unlocked when you're you're you know online sending me some kind of instant message about a client that we're working with, and I'm on a beach somewhere with palm trees, and I'm like, all right, I got this, and I still do the work, and yeah, then but it's with toes in the sand, right? You sound kind of like a country song a little bit, a little bit. <laughs> Right. You know, those are good achievements to have. In fact, I was helping someone with some paperwork earlier and we were talking about making money in retirement. Right. And we were talking about having enough in retirement so that you can enjoy it. 
and just sitting there and doing what you want, not having to worry about being on such a tight budget all the time. Yeah. So I have had this show is going to get interesting because there are there are a few things that have really been on my mind, and you have just sort of prodded a couple of them uh-huh. as we're talking about. I like you to know, prod this, this show. We call it the True Wealth Show. And we cover a variety of topics, folks. We cover, and sometimes we get really into the weeds of finance itself. Other times we talk a little bit more about the psychology of money and how it works. And there's a combination of things here today, but today's a little bit more tilted toward the psychology side of it. Okay. Interesting. Okay. Uh, and and all I could tell you is I'm not. I had like no psychology in college or anything. So I'm. Oh, totally, I did. This will be fun. <laughs> good because I'm unqualified uh, from an education <laughs> standpoint, but from the school of hard knocks and working with real people and getting a sense of what makes folks tick. Uh, I'd like to believe that the last 20 years that I've spent in this industry have provided some insight for me. And I'm fortunate because I have dealt with a big spectrum as far as ages. You know, I mean, I started barely in my 20s. Uh, I've had clients probably as young as 13, 14. I mean, if you think about it, we've right. had some parents that just said, all right, well, you know, I've got a kid who's starting to work and we want to start getting him a foundation. Actually, a little younger. Our youngest client's younger than that. Okay. Well, who's we, earning an income? Family. Yeah. Family business. So, yeah. So we've had Big some range. pretty young clients where it's just, we keep it real basic for them. But Nine to they, 90. And yeah. And then we've had clients that are in their 90s. Right. Right. And... The beauty of it is you get a lot of insight from the whole spectrum. You do. And I feel really fortunate and really blessed that I've had some very wise people that have shared with me. And one here's one of the things that struck me recently. Okay. The financial industry is very good at coaching forever deferred gratification. It is. Right? Right? It's put it it's off, just put it off a little interest, longer. So uh, when is a good time to invest? Right now. When is a good time to take distributions? Never. Never. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Die with it. Like, well, what's the point of that? Uh, I, <laughs> you know what? That is so true. It's, um, and by the way, uh, just on an emotional acknowledgement, it's very difficult when you have spent so many years, even decades, in the accumulation phase, right? Like, I mean, if you started, if you've been fortunate enough to start with a company in your 20s and you're still working there at a retirement or, you know, you've just been ticking away and ticking away and building your little nest egg. And then all of a sudden you get to retirement and we view retirement as somehow some finish line. But it's not. It's like the second half of the race, right? Like, you just uh, I think retirement's a funny one. I, I really should be renamed. Um, it, it's to me, retirement just means that you stop working for your income. Right. But it's but I'm saying like people have an emotionally really hard time switching off the accumulation bug or switch and switching on the distribution one. Right. Like it's like you you kind of told yourself this whole entire time, like, don't touch the money, don't touch the money, don't touch the money. And then all of a sudden you're like. I'm allowed to touch the money. Like it's it's okay now. Like why is it okay now? And I think psychologically it kind of messes with our head a little bit. Like we have to almost get permission from ourselves. Now some people are super excited when they hit that phase. They're like, "Woohoo, I'm out. I'm excited. It's okay." And but I've seen like clients transition and emotionally transition, you know, from the day that they retire to like even a year or two later like their whole um kind of outlook their attitude and everything is different yep you know like it's just it's more usually more positive right people are happier they're less stressed they're 
you know, excited about retirement. They've usually traveled a little bit or, you know, splurged a little on something, you know, like if they always wanted to have a boat, then that might be a possibility or something like that or a vacation somewhere special. Um, so it's nice to see those transitions. But like I said, it's like we keep we keep viewing retirement as a deadline, right? Or like some kind of finish line. Like, oh, I just have to make it to this point. And it's like, okay, but we never really have a good conversation of what happens after that point. Like, what does your life look like for the next 30 years in retirement? And I would take it a step further than that. See, I think that we spend, and this is an industry problem. Right? It's a financial services industry problem. We spend so much time flirting with and around retirement as a concept that we sort of neglect the greater balance of many things. Such as? So most of us are trading our time to do something that, because we're looking to do something else too. Okay? Can and you explain that a little yes, further? Yes, okay. I can. Uh, you go to work because you want the ability to do something else that brings you other balance. So it may not be your favorite thing to do at work. I and mean, you may not dislike it, but uh, most people don't go to work because that is their entertainment. There are some that do. Like, really, it's like, oh, I just can't. I just got to go to work. That is my thing. It's usually a trade-off and there's balance, right? And so the issue is that when you're doing, if you're doing one thing and you're wishing you were doing something else, then you're struggling with some balance elements right there. It doesn't mean that it, you're out of balance. It just means that you've got con conflicting desires and so you are trying to trying to weigh them out and figure out how you're going to prioritize right give me an example i'm still kind so of a little confused on what you're saying like, i'm at work but i'd rather be with my family and okay then, i feel that I'm, conflict when i'm with my family i feel like i should be at work okay you've actually sort of displaced some things because you're not living presently in the moment you so you've got things exactly backwards right or uh, I'm working on one thing, but it means that I can't, or if I'm volunteering to do one thing, but somebody else is getting sacrificed for it. So, uh, or how about this one? I'm going to work and then I've got to go uh, do stuff for the family and I never get to go to the gym. Oh, that sounds like me. Okay. <laughs> I mean, these are life balance issues true. where we are all trying to figure out how to allocate the resources we have to various categories in our life. I feel like balance is like a unicorn. Right. Like we all seek it, but we never actually get it. <laughs> well, but and that's probably OK. Right. Balance is something that has to be worked at. Right. So it's not something like you just arrive one day and go, aha, balance. Right. No, right. I, mean, it's, I mean, it's it's not like, you know, when you're trying to hold a spoon on your finger and you're like, oh, there's the spot. Look at that. Right. It's not. That kind I of wish it was that easy. That it's, would be so nice. Yeah, it's it's coming from multiple directions. Uh, so, so, see, I kind of look at it as chapters, right? Not as much as balance, but but chapters of my life, right? Like there's there's acknowledgement in the fact that I know that there's going to be certain chapters that are just chaotic, and some that are going to be a little smoother. Right. Like and it's and I kind of feel like it's like that when you read a book. Right. There's like there's the beginning that starts off really slow and then the middle is kind of chaotic. And then there's the end. And you're like, wow, that's awesome. And yet, like you enjoy every single part of it. Right. Like you enjoy mm -hmm. the journey of it. But just acknowledging, you know, like when you have babies, like you just you think, oh, my gosh, this is so much different than my single life. Right. And there's an adjustment period. And you think, like, how am I going to do anything else? 
And then you have like another kid and you go, wow, I have two kids now. How am I going to balance this out? And some people have even more than that. You have three, right? And sometimes you're thinking it was hard enough balancing two. And then I got a third one to balance now, but you just kind of do it. And then all of a sudden you're like, wow, this is, I got this. I never feel like I'm balanced with three kids. <laughs> <laughs> because you can't do man on man. You got to do zone. There's a lot of zone. <laughs> different, so, different playbook. <laughs> so I, I, if it sounds like we're meandering here, we are, but there's a purpose to what I want to talk about today. And it is that somewhere between retirement, uh, there's accumulation phase, a retirement pivot, a distribution phase the various chapters in your life and seeking balance through all of them, I think that there is a message that is really, really lost in the financial industry right now. And it's one that I think more and more people, if you'll hear it, you'll go like, you know, you might be onto something here. Uh, so you're going to make our listeners stick around yeah, for that message, yeah, aren't we'll, you? We'll take a break. We'll come back. I want to give you guys a sense of where's the financial industry goofing it up, and how can we fix it? We'll cover that when we come back. This is David Littlejohn. And Katie Shuck. you got True Wealth on News Radio 1240 KQEN. Hey, gang, welcome back to the True Wealth Radio Show, where today we are playing the psychology game, right? Do I need a DSM? Do you know what that is? <laughs> no. It's a diagnosis book for the psychologist. They go into this big, thick book, and there's like four categories, and they try to figure out what's Why wrong does it with need you. to be so thick if there's only four? Oh, because we like to talk about stuff, and if we're going to talk about a lot yeah. of things, don't you think we'd write about a lot of stuff? Yeah, <laughs> which I will also say. So not the same as psychology, but philosophy, not. which I did take a couple of courses. Some of the worst writers I've ever read. <laughs> Uh, really? Philosophy writers are terrible. They are <laughs> circular in their writing oftentimes. Well, at least the ones I had to deal with. It's like, great, you said the same thing 11 different ways, and you tried to make yourself sound smart, and you were irritating. So it just drove me bananas. Philosophy was the one subject in college I just struggled with. The one. Only one. My favorite was, you know, how do you even know if you exist? And the professor is like, you could be a jar and a brain in a jar and we could just you wouldn't even know it's like i get it it's like the matrix yeah, so this side the other so how can you tell and what said you know this is the whole i think therefore i am and i'm like well i'll go key your car and you tell me if it's real <laughs> so you know let me do something to make you mad and all of a sudden it doesn't matter what you think you'll think it you'll act like it's real so um Aww. Okay, off anyway, topic. So, so going back to the psychology so of the The psychology elements just industry. I don't want to talk so much about the stock market today. Look, stock market's near all time highs. Oil's getting a bit banged around a little bit because of uh, Saudi Arabia being attacked, presumably by Iran, although that's not officially confirmed, but it's pretty much uh, what the, the going cause is. And so I feel like Adele it, it, rumor has yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it definitely destabilizes things a little bit when you get instability, you get some market hiccups. But the market's by and large shrugged it off. The S P five hundred is still at about three thousand. It's like within twenty five, twenty six points of its all time highs. Right. So for all of the panic, uh the market's still doing pretty well. The bond market, which had really gotten strong sold off a little bit. So bond yields have drifted back down. The 10-year treasury is not so outrageous. And that's the 
end of the market discussion I want to have for today, I want to talk not about the stock market or bond markets or how you're investing today. I want to talk about why. And I want to talk about the financial industry itself. How we're sending the wrong message, you said, or like not or I, an incomplete message, or the message is changing. I think the industry is evolving and this evolution is being stirred by the consumer. It's being motivated by technology and by regulation. And so there's this path that things are simply moving toward. Okay. Okay. And it's not to say that there, it won't turn and it's going to, it's not going to run everybody over and like, you know, either get on this train or you're going to get left behind. But it's kind of, yeah. I know that sounds funny, right? Kind of, so, yeah. Okay. Kind of, yeah. Meaning, I think that if you're not paying attention to these market trends, then you're going to find yourself in a very legacy position that's going to look really interesting and maybe different. Um, one of the most notable things is the way business operates. Okay? okay. So it went from being a brokerage world where you had transactional business where people received commissions. Hence the term stock broker. Right. To the advisory world. And it's this is an ongoing shift, right? And what happens is older generations of financial professionals were raised in a generation where there was a lot more transactional business. Right. And the younger generation is doing less transactional business and more business when it comes to investment management they are receiving an asset based fee right okay so they get a percentage of the account value for managing the account it's a small percentage by the way because if you think about it if the if the stock market does an average of let's say 10% per year and uh, yeah, i'm just picking a number here you can't very well say well we charge 5% a year cuz that's half of your customers gains right and so you it do might that. be like 1% or a half a percent or some fraction of somewhere in there, you know, 1.1, whatever it is, they measure it in basis points typically is what it's called. Which, by the way, that was so confusing when I yes. first started working here. Basis points, essentially, for every one basis point, it's one one hundredth of 1%. It's Yeah, so it's the fraction okay, of a percent. Okay, so 100 basis points is 1%. Yeah. So if you charge 1%. 100 basis points, you're charging 1% of the customer's account value, which means for every $100 that they have in one year, you will pay them $1. And they may take out $0.08 cents every month. They may take out $0.25 cents every, every quarter. quarter. They may take, well, usually that's all they'll do is they'll take out, they don't usually bill out further in advance than that, although they could. And then there are some hedge funds and other things. We'll, we'll do a percentage-based fee with a bonus if they hit certain metrics. So if we get a really good return above a certain threshold, then you pay us a part of the profits too. But by and large, it's just fee for assets. Okay. And like buying at Costco, the more that you buy, the cheaper it gets. Right. So if you have a really big account, your percentage of fee-based charge declines. Right. Okay. But that also is worse the other way around. When you have a really small account, it's a little expensive to it's get expensive. started. Yeah. Okay. So it costs more upfront, and this makes sense. If you have a hundred dollar account, you're paying somebody one dollar a year, and you want to call them once a quarter, they don't even want to take your call, right? Because <laughs> it costs like, them way more it costs an employee them money to do it. They're, they they need more clients than you. You're you're you haven't built up enough to be considered valuable to That's them. That's not saying don't get started though. No. Like no, you have to start somewhere. So like it, get started. Absolutely get started. And it's, it's not to say that they don't 
like you. It's just that they can't afford to spend a lot of time with you. They will starve, and then you'll need a new advisor because they will fail. A lot of business, yeah. Yeah, so you just kind of got to know the way real life works here. Well, so the market so, so transition. the market has evolved to this fee-based management, and now you've seen this process shift from the broker world to the advisory world, and the advisor operates as a fiduciary. Ah, the F word. Yep, dropping F-bombs. I love it. The fiduciary is a person that has a legal obligation to act in the best interest of another party that they are representing. Okay, And the representation usually works in the form of being a trustee, is okay. what is often considered. So, uh, And then they have to act in the interest of the beneficiary. right? So the trustee is the person that is the one that needs to be the fiduciary. If you have a contract, the trustee is responsible for fulfilling the contract. The beneficiary gets the benefit. That's the weird name. It's just sort of a derivative. Well, and trustee, benefit. you've been trusted with the money. So right? trustee. So the trustee is, is the fiduciary that works for the benefit of the beneficiary. And, and that's how a fiduciary operates, is they are expected to put the interests of their clients ahead of their own. Okay? Which, so they need to operate in the best interest of their clients right. to the best of their ability. Right. And so that's what a fiduciary does. It seems like, well, sure, oh, my guy does that and blah, blah, blah. Uh, they probably do. They should. They, I mean, most. I think most financial professionals operate under that standard of care. The difference is whether or not their obligation is in the moment or it's ongoing. Right? Do you have an ongoing fiduciary obligation or did you just have – a best interest obligation for your clients in the moment. It sounds very subtle, but the industry is trying to migrate toward ongoing. ongoing. Yeah, they want to right? make sure that, that so if you're, you're picking receive... the right investments more long term than just like, oh, right. today. This is a subject of much debate, but I believe that as time marches on, the fiduciary standard will become more and more the norm and less and less the exception. That'd and be good, though. And that also means that you're less and less likely to encounter traditional transaction-based business, and you're going to see more fee-based or subscription-based business. Right. Now, subscription is interesting, right? A lot of people don't think about this. Now, you're not going to see a lot of people do subscription asset management. Okay. okay. So, hey, I have $100. It costs me $100 a month. I have $1,000. It costs me $100 a month. I have a million dollars. It costs me $100 a month. Uh, there's a good reason for that. Well, Which there's a couple. Is? One of the big ones is inertia. Most large financial firms are not interested in not getting paid for volume. Okay. Uh, but the other is there's still liability, right? A million-dollar account has more liability than a $1,000 account. Because there's more moving parts. Well, no, because it's just a lot more money. Lot you more make money. a mistake, the mistakes are bigger. True. Right? The same percentage is a lot more dollars on an absolute basis for a million dollars than it is for $1,000. Like a $10 mistake on a $1,000 transaction – Okay, that's 1%. Yeah, well, that just became on a million dollars is a $10,000 mistake. Right. So a lot more expensive. Okay. Um, so I don't think that the industry is going to drift too far from asset-based fee structure. The one that's interesting is the financial planning side. Okay. Right. And how so? Well, I think technology is really changing the way things happen. And like right. even in the last 10 years kind of thing, or last five years. Yeah, especially in the last 10 years. There's been a, the, the 
the broad-based adoption of the internet and this general transition back to, I say back to because we used to have the cloud before, it just looked different. It was mainframes back then. But now the cloud is this online access where you log in to a portal that's not on, it's not on your computer, right? You just need to, you know it's hosted somewhere. The data goes somewhere into the cloud and you access it with your username and password and credentials and so forth. Well, that technology has allowed us to put a lot more computing power in the cloud. And you can use the internet to sort of walk through the front door and get at that computing power. Okay. So you're seeing more and more technology that allows people to enter in their financial situation. And it, it's just kind of the math. Right. Do you think it has something to do more with like this DIY component? Like I feel like DIY is so big these days and it wasn't like a thing 15 years ago or 20 I, years ago. I really. So this is a great question. Um, this DIY one, it's such a great question. Let's do this. Let's just take the break now. Okay. And when we come back, we're going to talk specifically about how has DIY change the investment industry because you're on to something katie okay all right so stick around we'll be right back this is david littlejohn and katie shook you got true wealth on news radio 1240 kqen Hey, welcome back to the True Wealth Show. And if you were just joining us, I am your host, David Littlejohn. With Katie Shuck. And reminder, we've got this thing is podcasted, right? So you can go to, uh, it's it's on iTunes and it's floating around out there. Uh, it's on it, our website. Yep, it's so on the KQEN website. So go, yeah, go to littlejohnfs.com because we promote our own wares on this show. And you can check out the podcast. And uh, we've got a history of them going back to, gosh, the beginning of time. Uh <laughs> Well, the beginning of the time that I started working here. Yeah, yeah, the beginning of our records on the show, which is every one of them we've ever done. Right. So um, <laughs> it's true. The, yeah, that's just the way the compliance industry works in finance. You document everything. Um, we're talking today about how the financial industry has been changing. Right. And really, I think a lot of it's being driven. It's been driven by technology and then this cultural shift, and. Uh, there's a number of things that we're seeing. We talked about how it's it's drifting from commission-based to fee-based asset management. It's moving from transactional business, therefore, to relational business that is ongoing. So the standard of care is becoming an ongoing best interest or a fiduciary interest for the customer. That I, I kind of feel like this is a little bit of the chicken or the egg thing, right? Is the industry changing because the consumer wants something different, or does the consumer want something different because the industry is changing? No, the industry, I believe, is changing to the consumer. So you think it's okay? I, I do. I think it's that because, um, for example, fees are dropping, not because the industry wants lower fees. Well, yeah, that's right. True. The industry yeah. does we would not want to get, get paid, paid more, paid folks. Less. I think everybody uh, always wants to get paid right? more. This this is a, it's a result of I, technology has driven this tremendously uh, because of the nature of the regulations associated with the financial industry. There is a bit of a compulsion for transparency, right? If you're willing to read the contracts, you can find out what things cost. Right. It's obnoxious, but you can do it. And what's happened is the internet has made it easier to discover that stuff. And so as pricing has become more transparent, then more of companies are having to compete on price. 
And so you see a race to the bottom. I mean, heaven's sake, between Vanguard and Schwab and Fidelity, you can get an S&P 500 fund for under 10 basis points. Yeah. Right. And if you don't know what basis points are, check out the podcast. We talked about it in the last segment. True. Um, True that. The, the idea that they're making it cheaper and cheaper and cheaper. Well, why? They're trying to buy business. They're doing so. There, there. There's a certain threshold where, if you get enough bulk, then it still pays out, right? right? They're yeah. trying to bulk making, buy you, but they're making, making everybody vanilla. Making one tenth of one percent of billion ten billion dollars is a lot of money, right? Right. To not offer a lot, right? Like they right. gave you vanilla. And you're like, but I wanted strawberry. And you're like, nope, you went cheap. You get vanilla. Well, you get vanilla. And if you want strawberry, go buy the strawberries too. Right. right? That's the, uh, but what they're 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 not building that with what most people associate. It's not a traditional mutual. That's a no load mutual fund with no manager. Right. Okay. It's a computer program that is buying what's in the S and P 500. Right. So it doesn't take much, but you know, a laptop computer and an internet connection and the right programs, and it runs that thing. Now, why is that a bad thing? I'm not saying it's a bad thing. That is a DIY, but that is also a DIY thing. Well, what we were is, talking about DIY a little bit so earlier. I, I, I use the analogy of uh, the hardware store, right? I mean, uh, it could be a Home Depot or a Lowe's or a Jerry's or you know, you pick your favorite. But you know, you walk in. And you've got a project that you want to complete. The DIYer says, I need to go to the store and buy the stuff for the project. And they walk in the store and they get all the stuff. Well, the stock market's now like that. I want to build an investment strategy. Okay, go get the parts you want and assemble an investment strategy that meets the criteria you're looking for. The S&P 500 as a big available mutual fund is just one of those parts of the portfolio. Right? It's just a construction tool yeah. okay. at that point. So the industry has, it's the investment components have gotten cheaper. The ability to access financial information calculators. Yeah. Right. There's calculators all over the internet. Oh, yeah. There's a calculator on our website. Yeah. Dozens of them. Right. Right. Yeah. So the tools are readily available everywhere. Uh, I think that what's happened is uh, the, the market is responding to millennials and the way they interact okay and so what would be an example of that like what do you mean by that statement i mean that the you before you get to engage with a millennial in this day and age you first engage with them digitally true whether it's over some kind of messenger, it's, whether it's social email, media or it is text email, message. Text. Usually, it's going to be text or social media. Right, right. It's not to say that email is irrelevant. Email is still king in business. Right, right? but on person-to-person communication, it is text and social media. So, if if that's the case, then you first engage there, and then once you have been vetted and sort of. Uh, receive the stamp of approval, then you can have an analog engagement, right? You can actually talk or <laughs> maybe. maybe even meet. Maybe. Okay. <laughs> but but the first step is very arm's length and it allows the the party doing the investigation gets a lot of information. 
right? I mean, so where about, are they getting all this information from? Well, I mean, wherever. I mean, let's say a client that wants to come work with our firm. They hear us on the radio. They listen to us for a while to get a sense of what our personalities are and our value system. And then they go online and they look at our webpage and they see the information we publish there. Uh, they may go check on LinkedIn or Facebook or elsewhere and do a little bit of, uh, you know, lightweight stalking. Okay. <laughs> basically, uh, get a sense of our personality, look at some of the people that we are associated with and so forth. And so they are triangulating on their tribe. There you go. Right. And then from there, they can make a decision whether or not it's worth investigating further to do business. But they do a whole lot. And here's the crazy thing. Uh, that's almost more important than a referral anymore. That kind of is a referral, but it, it's a digital referral. It's a di well, it's because you're it's, trusting those sources, right? Like, I I go to Facebook a lot. Like, if I want to know more about a person or about a company, I will check out their Facebook page. And these days, there's quite a few companies that only have a Facebook page. Like, they don't even have a website anymore. Right. It's easier to update your Facebook page than it is to update your website. Right. So they just have social media, Instagram, anything like that. So I know when I'm looking into somebody, that's actually the first place I go versus their website is to Facebook. Sure. Well, the, the point is not where you go. The point is that that's the barrier to entry. And so that has changed the engagement with the consumer. Right. Right. And so the financial industry is adapting to that. But by in order to engage the customer, you provide more DIY tools or things that get them to take a look. Right. Here, look at this calculator. Do this gadget, whatever it may be. And so the, the Internet is given this really broad swath of tools that are available to the consumer. And to the person that has the time and inclination to do it themselves, I believe that you can, primarily using free tools available online, you could assemble an entire functional, pretty healthy investment strategy and manage it yourself doing that and do it entirely in a free scenario. Maybe even going so far as to enrolling in something like a Robin Hood or something where they have free trades and a free account. Uh, now, there's no such thing as free. Right. Somebody's always making something okay. somewhere. I mean, because you're either being advertised to or there are, you know, other cash interest sharing agreements that are actually funding the trades. You know, the trades don't happen for free at Robinhood. There's other back office deals with how they're doing revenue sharing and using a portion of the interest in the accounts to fund those things. Right. Uh, and, and they're also consolidating those trades typically with the other investors to make them, um, you know, blocks cheaper and so forth. But that's not the point. That's a business model question. The reality is that the market has responded. And so the the financial industry has been adapting to this new technology wave. But in the process, what the consumer benefits from is you get more tools for less money. See, this to me seems like, you know, when you watch a DIY show and you see them remodel their whole entire kitchen. And then you go, I could do that. I can, I can drop the plans and go buy the supplies and do all the stuff. And then you decide to tear apart your kitchen and you realize... And it's you, a lot more complicated than I thought so because, right. you know, they made it look really easy in an hour. Like they did it with no problem. What you don't see is all the editing, the 30 days of construction, all of the behind the office stuff. Right. So it's like mm -hmm. I feel like I was sold that anybody could do this really quickly if you just were willing to, you know, grease, well, get, grease your elbows a little bit. And I don't feel like that's accurate. Like, I, I think that it comes down to um, 
so let me give you, I'm going to use your kitchen analogy for our listeners. Kitchens are hard to remodel, by the way. This one's kind of funny. But so if the kitchen remodel was simply, hey, you know what I'm going to do, Katie? I'm going to remodel our kitchen at home. I'm going to just walk in and I am going to take um, a five gallon bucket of white paint and a sprayer and I'm just going to spray everything. Okay. <laughs> okay. I'm going to make the entire kitchen white, the counters, the floors, the ceiling, the cabinets, the appliances. Okay. Everything is white. Okay. Okay. And then I'm going to walk out of there and say, ta-da, I've remodeled it. Yeah. Okay. Technically speaking, I did. Technically. Uh, there's a lot of problems with that But story. <laughs> it was the worst solution possible, right? And right. the issue is that... Uh, okay, you can do that. You shouldn't do that. <laughs> right. Okay. So, by the way, that has been one of my favorite phrases this last year. What you can do and what you should do are not always the same thing, right? Like what you legally can do. There's a lot of things that you can do. Now, it may blow up your strategy. It may blow up your tax bracket. Like, right. should you do it? Sure. Maybe, and maybe so- not. But if your do-it-yourself philosophy is, I'm going to be like Warren Buffett. I'm going to buy the S&P 500, and I'm going to just put some money in every month for the rest of my life, and I'm going to forget about my strategy, right? I'm okay. just going to buy these things, and I trust that 40 years from now, it's going to be worth a lot more than it is today, and I don't care. Okay, that's an actual investment strategy. It is. It's kind of like painting the kitchen entirely white. Um, it's probably better than that actually it's because that strategy you know you're getting the 500 largest companies they do shift from time to time so you're getting a little rebalancing in there but you're 100 percent equity exposed and you're going to ride through the highs and lows of the economy through that entire time frame over time it's worked historically 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 it has worked so it's but we just talked about that, that destroyed but but the it, landscape's it takes, changing it takes into account zero about what is the most tax efficient uh, are there ways to hedge risk and essentially get the same return with lower volatility, which benefits you if you needed the money when the market's point, down? When the market was down, so losing yeah. less in a down market could benefit you. Uh, and also, what if you could have enhanced returns by having a more broadly diversified strategy or tilted your risk elsewhere so that you could have taken the same risk but gotten a higher return? There are lots of ways to re-optimize a strategy, and simply buying something and holding it forever is a pretty passive strategy. Right. Okay. So can you do it? Yes. Should you do it? Mm. Depends, right? Yeah. But mm, is, it, is it optimized? I don't, I don't think so. And in heavens, if you put it in a retirement plan and you just forget about it, eventually you'll have a tax nightmare. Because unless it's a Roth IRA, you're going to have required distributions at some point too, which means if you're not paying attention, all of a sudden you have a tax time bomb. Yeah. Right? You live bad. long enough and Uncle Sam comes knocking. So... I think that technology, again, bottom line is it is pushing this industry. So the question is, what do you as investors need to know about financial firms? And what have financial firms not figured out, I believe, when investors come asking that question? Oh, that's such a good question. What do you need to know about financial firms? I know. We're going to cover that on our last segment here, so stick around. We'll be right back. This is David Littlejohn. And Katie Shuck. Yeah, True Wealth on News Radio 1240, KQEN. All right, welcome back to the True Wealth Show. David Littlejohn and Katie Shuck. And we're from Littlejohn Financial Services. 
541-375-0898. There, I've done the pitch as requested. Yeah. And if you haven't checked us out, stalk us on Facebook because we've talked about Facebook right. stalking and, today. And, you know, you hear Little John. Uh, it's a family name, so Robin Hood and me. And then you put an F as in financial and S as in services.com. And then so that's how you find us. Right. And by the way, his name is not John Little. Just want to clarify no, it's, for it's all of you phone books either. that have gotten it wrong. And Little John is not two words. It's no, one word. It is not. So. All right. So we were talking about what you need to know about financial firms or well, what, what kind of information should you be asking? I say I think it's a I was going to ask the question a little different. Ask a question. A little different. I think that financial firms have asked the wrong are providing are providing the wrong service. Like They haven't figured out what they're doing. Like they're trying to tell you the questions you should be asking. Yes. So so for years it used to be come to us because we'll we help, will make help you, you with your investments. Right. Right. No, we'll just help oh, you we'll with your investments. You. OK. Right. And so that was, yeah, let us help you try to become rich. And then it became, ooh, you know what? Let us help make sure you don't outlive your, your money. A, your money right? okay. So I, if I'm going to retire someday, I want to make sure that I, I don't outlive my money. Okay. I think that because we have so much technology that makes it easier for clients or investors in general, I say clients because you know, it's a reference to at our firm, but it's, it's a lot easier to understand now using technology. Am I winning or not? Oh, but see, that's a good question. And I don't know that that's always answered by the it's, technology. It's not necessarily, but it can be. That's the funny part is that, you know, there's financial planning software and there's estimators where you can say, well, how much money do I need in retirement? And how much do I have? And am I going to, am I projecting to have enough at this current rate of return? You can do that. Right. Okay. And certainly we can do that. So if you're not receiving that kind of help and you want it, by all means, call, call us. our office. Yeah. Uh, but the idea is, bigger than that now. And I think this is where financial services firms, they're so busy adding frivolous technology and things that are just confusing. It's like The last thing uh, an investor needs is another stupid pie chart, right? <laughs> like, oh, great, I get it. 37 colors in 3D, who cares, <laughs> right? It's, so true. It's just a bunch of nonsense. It's like, if you bring me 40 pages worth of financial plan and think that I'm going to go home and just pour over this as if it is the best information that I have ever received, you got another thing coming. The favorite thing of that, though, is the 40-page financial plan probably has eight pages of disclosures. Yeah. And, right. And it's probably, all eight pages of legalese. <laughs> and probably two, maybe three pages of useful information. Right. So it's like, way to just do a data dump and then try to claim it as valuable. Okay, you're not impressing me. Certainly, if that's if if you've got a 40-page bound financial plan in a leather binder, I'm like, big deal. Because but the funny thing is, it is it is impressing the person that doesn't know, right? Well, They're looking at it and going, "Wow, this person has like this huge plan for me." Not really understanding what the plan even says. They just know that it looks expensive and seems the plan expensive. Is the key. And here's my point: the plan needs to have actionable steps. It doesn't need data. It needs measurement criteria. What should you be doing? How are we going to measure if it is effective? Because this is what I think financial firms need to be doing for their customers. So it's, am I saving enough is usually yeah, my first is, question. Uh, yeah. Can I help you become wealthy? Can I keep you from outliving your money? And then along the way, how do we make the best use of the money and your resources so that you are getting back to the very beginning of the show and my concept of balance. Right. Spending the time with your family, doing the things that you want to do, and really enriching your life. Because this is the phrase, right? 
it's not about living to become rich. It's about living richly. Oh, see, I love that. Can you explain that a little further? I want people to realize that deferring gratification to infinity, you can you run the danger of saying, well, someday I'm going to do this thing. But then your mentality shifts to permanent savor. You develop an internal culture where you will deny yourself forever. You die with the most stuff. It does you no good. Yeah, because then guess what? Okay. So the people the, that get your stuff may not delay their gratification. Right. And they may not share your value system, which was important for you getting there. And so right. then if you could watch them basically uh, just sort of unravel all of your values afterwards, it would be really disheartening. So the point is that there needs to be a balance along the way of save well, save sufficiently so that you can build wealth and give, as Dave Ramsey would say. Right. But also don't miss the little opportunities along the way. And the way you do that is through good planning. It's not just financial planning, data dump, bunch of pie charts. It's financial planning like, listen, there are some really important things I want to do to include, uh, you know, engaging with my kids while they're going to college away somewhere else. And I so want to I'm going to give an example on that really quick. So, you know, your goal was to put, you know, $500 a month away in your retirement plan, which you're doing. You've already saved for your kids. Well, you just mentioned kids' college plans. Take that family vacation every year. You can afford it, right? It's in the budget. You well, can afford it. Well, or make sure make those that you wealth. can afford it, right? That's why you plan. Right. Plan so that you can and set a realistic budget so that it doesn't blow you up, but you are having some victories along the way. Right. And that's that's my words. Live richly, seek more balance with your finances. And a good financial partner, a good financial advocate can help you do that. Yeah. So give us a call. So... <laughs> Here's the thing. If you haven't gotten started, I would tell you lots of places to go. Our website is no different than anyone else's and that you can go and th there are free tools that you can play with. Am I on track for a retirement? Do I want to get started? Do I need to check the investments I already have to see if they are keeping me on the right track? But if you can't answer the question of, am I going the right direction? Then I think you need to do some searching to figure out for you, okay, well, where is the goalpost? And am I headed in the right direction? You know, as the, the football expression goes, it's football season, right? So go north-south, not east-west. Sounds good. Okay. And again, if you need help with that, you give us a call. They reach us at 541-375-0898. All right, Kim. Well, that's it. So uh, you hear the music. We're out of time for today. Katie, thank you as always. Thank you for having me. And uh, again, Littlejohn Financial Services, littlejohnfs.com, all that good stuff. Until next time, this has been David Littlejohn. And Katie Shook. And you've been listening to True Wealth on News Radio 1240, KQEN.